welcome to another episode of New Number One. I'm your host, Pierce Lydon, and uh, happy Halloween, everybody. It's October 31st, 2018, and so we're looking at all the books that have been released today. We only have a few books today. Uh, I think we only have four total. Uh, it's Hex Wives from DC Vertigo, Sex Death Revolution from Black Mask Studios, and Spider Force from Marvel as the books that came out this week. And then we'll take a look at Lodger from Black Crown, which actually came out last week, but I missed it, and I love David Lapham. So I'm going to talk about it today. You know, before we get started, next week is midterms. You should probably vote because things are terrible. So go do that. It's pretty easy and like the one thing that you should definitely do. And I would say normally like, oh, it doesn't matter how you vote as long as you do vote. But it definitely matters how you vote. Don't be a jerk. I don't really need to get too into how bad things are right now. Uh, on a much more positive note, I suppose, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Pros and Comic Cons, which is a an anthology Dark Horse Comics putting out. Uh, Hope Nicholson edited it, and uh, it features Brian Michael Bendis, Greg Pak, uh, Karen Gillan, Cena Grace, Amy Chu, a whole bunch. Uh, actually, two friends of mine, uh, Eric Radvin and Marlene Bonnelly, have pieces in this anthology as well. And uh, what it is, it explores the mad world of comic book conventions and the funny, sad, sweet, embarrassing, and heartfelt stories that go along with them. These true-to-life stories showcase surprise celebrity run-ins, fan encounters that change creators' lives, costume malfunctions, and practical advice for both new and experienced convention attendees. comes out in May. It just got announced. It looks really cool. Uh, some friends of mine are in it and a bunch of pros that you probably like. So check it out if it's the kind of thing that uh, piques your interest. I'm sure you'll be into it. I guess this isn't a comic book, number one, but I did get to check out the first episode of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, the new Netflix show uh, from Archie Comics and Netflix. Uh, showrunner or producer Greg Berlanti and developed by Roberto Aguirre-Sasca. Uh, same guy that did, uh, same team, I, I'm pretty sure, that did uh, Riverdale and has done a bunch of other stuff. Greg Berlanti, of course, does all those CW superhero shows and Roberto Aguirre-Sasca has written some Spider-Man comics and things like that. Pretty solid first episode. Uh, there's some things that it does that I, I, I don't love um, in terms of how it introduces us to characters. Um I think the world of its story is really interesting. I think its references to horror stuff are really interesting. I think that it's shot really well and the set design is incredible. It, it kind of has like that Tim Burton whimsy to it and, and, and it's almost like Harry Potter kind of uh, kind of look to it uh, at points uh, and I guess even sort of in plotting as well as we're waiting for Sabrina to go off to magic school essentially uh, in the first episode but I think it kind of takes a little too long to get there you know I, I I unfortunately compared it maybe to 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 one-to-one to Riverdale when I when I was watching I kind of had that in my head and one of the things I really love about Riverdale while it's by no means a perfect show uh, but is uh, pretty entertaining Riverdale introduces you to so much in the first five to seven minutes of the show that you pretty much know if you're on board right away whereas uh, Sabrina really uses that whole hour and it almost feels like that's kind of the problem with Netflix shows is they have all that space and so mm, they don't there there's a lot less urgency in uh, the style of storytelling and I think we see that with the Marvel Netflix shows and stuff too but I will keep watching because I'm Kiernan Shipko's great a lot of the cast is really good and I'm curious to see if it 
delivers on some of the horror elements that it seems to be playing with. I mean, it references so much stuff just in that first episode alone uh, that it's clear that the uh, the the uh, filmmakers have some uh, hopefully have some interesting ideas with uh, where to take Sabrina. And uh, I guess on that note, we're gonna dig into this week's books. And we're going to start off with something a little witchy as well. Uh, we're going to start off with Hexwives from DC Vertigo. Uh, this is from writer Ben Blacker, artist Mirka Andolfo, colorist Marissa Louise, and letter Josh Reed. This list is as follows. The women are too powerful. They must be tamed. For hundreds of years, a war has been waged between a coven of perpetually reincarnating witches and the all-male conspiracy known as the Architects. After the, deaths, uh, the death of the lead architect in tw- uh, 2005, it seemed the witches had finally defeated their foes. Now, 13 years later, waking up in a perfect cookie-cutter home at the end of a cul-de-sac in a sunny corner of suburbia, Isadora has no recollection of her past life as the leader of a witch coven, nor her soulmate Nadia, let alone the centuries-old war she's waged in defense of the soul of America. So what we get here is kind of uh, witches meets Stepford Wives kind of setup. Uh, Blacker does a pretty solid job giving us the premise outlined in the solicit text. And I like magic stuff that gives rules for its world. Uh, the opening pages uh, let us know kind of what this battle has been throughout these generations and generations. So we get different time periods and we see uh, Isadora and Nadia uh, at, at, in different time periods. And I guess seeing them reincarnated or or not reincarnated as uh, each thing kind of depends and the thing about each of the witches they all kind of have their own they have like normal witch powers it's kind of explained but they all have their own superpower as well um, whether it be turning into stone or uh, shooting fire or things like that uh, and so Blacker sets that stuff up pretty quickly. Um, the conflict overall is a little bit vague. I mean, we understand that there's these architects and they've been fighting this coven. Um, uh, the why of it all is a little bit uh, less explored, uh, I guess, in this first issue. But the story, once we see this kind of suburban kind of Stepford Wives, or I guess almost like Leave It to Beaver kind of setup, uh, once we get to the you know second half of the book i'd say that's where what the story is kind of reveals itself it's like how how have the architects sort of positioned themselves so that they've sort of won and what does that mean for this coven moving forward uh, as they will inevitably discover their powers and and kind of uh, uh rediscover themselves as witches uh, and it and it kind of has like a once it gets through that those first couple pages it does sort of have like a television sitcom-y kind of feel to it um, because it's just these women sort of uh, interacting with each other uh, in this sort of kind of fifties Pleasantville style. But the the dialogue and character dynamics, I mean, it it works. It's it's enough that I think uh, the issue definitely does deliver on that solicit text and Mirka Andolfo's work is really fun uh, she does some great she has some solid character designs and and makes sure those characters are distinct but they still like look you know they character cer- they carry certain traits through every era that we see them in um, and and Blacker really leans on her to do some of the show don't tell stuff that I think is really important for comics you know um, the we find out that the kind of opening narration is from these architects. So 
they they're not privy to all of the secrets of of this coven uh, as it were and so you know we do just kind of get to see certain things uh, as they're explaining other things that are related though so that you know we the reader come to have a greater understanding of of these characters and sort of uh, the world of the story a little bit and so I appreciate that Blacker lets his artist go do that uh, and doesn't need to spell everything out for us uh, I think that makes it a lot uh, more effective. I, I do kind of wish the solicit held back a little bit because I think uh, the waking up in a perfect cookie cutter home at the end of a cul-de-sac in a sunny corner of suburbia, et cetera, et cetera, it, it does uh, reveal what the whole second half of the issue is. Um, I would have I would have maybe dialed back what that was going to be because I, I do think it kind of tells you almost a little bit too much and it does put the first issue and I think I had said this about a previous issue of something else entirely where you almost feel like you could skip the first issue and you wouldn't have really missed anything if you had just read the solicit and then jumped into issue two and there's a little bit of that here Um, but overall based on based on the strength of the art and how it plays to Blacker's story you know I'm interested to see where this goes uh, I think it's a successful debut issue I think it could have been more successful uh, had it held back a little bit on that solicit and maybe uh, leaned in a little bit more on the show don't tell kind of stuff but overall this is uh, the sort of coven as secret superheroes who have yet to be activated sort of thing uh, in this generations long wage long war against this mysterious foe i mean pretty pretty solid premise let's see how that goes i'm on board and our next issue is sex death revolution from black max black mask Studios. excuse me uh writer is magdalene visaggio artist becca farrow colorist harry saxon and letterer zach sam here's the solicit life is a story Hers is being rewritten, still reeling from the sudden collapse of her coven, Manhattanite sorceress Esperanza tries to rebuild, but everyone in her life is saying she's done and said things that never happened, terrible things, before she knows that she's becoming someone else entirely different, someone she used to be once upon a time. Life is full of ch-ch-ch-changes in this urban fantasy from Eisner-nominated writer Magdalene Visaggio and artist Becca Farrow. So, right up top, this is definitely my pick of the week. Uh, it's a double-sized issue. It's really, really big. Uh, so it's, uh, I mean, compared to I mean, about 50 pages, 52 pages. And uh, there's a lot of, some shades of, like, runaways, some shades of phonogram. Uh, obviously, we're getting another sort of, like, witchy kind of setup uh, with another coven. Uh, and Visaggio is a writer who's not afraid to put her protagonist un- in uncomfortable situations. Uh, but when her writing's really at its best is when she's making really cutting observations. Uh, I think that's why something like Kim and Kim doesn't work for me as well as something like Eternity Girl. Uh, you know, uh, you know, in Kim and Kim, you get a lot of snarky kind of back and forth, but you don't get some of the emotional work um, that we've gotten in some of the stuff that Visaggio's written later. And uh, we get a lot of that sort of emotional heavy lifting here uh, that I really, really like. Visaggio has some... I some feelings here about transness and about religion that I really connect with. Um, you know, these, there are relatable characters here who have had a life outside this book. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing about this issue. And what I mean with regards to stuff about, uh, transness and 
and religion, um, the, the two, the main couple, uh, you know, Esperanza and her girlfriend, you know, we get to see them kind of together and then we get to see them kind of on their own. And, uh, the book kind of has like a, you know, it lays out the rules for what magic is and sort of almost like a fight clubby way. The first rule of black magic is blah, blah, blah. The second rule of black magic is et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then, and then things kind of play out. Um, but there's this, the, all the all the rules are like a bit vague, right? They get repeated a couple of times in the in the narration, um, in ways that are supposed to give them more weight and make them seem more important. Um, but it's vague as far as like, well, we know that if you know storytelling dictates that if you're going to make rules, then we are they are going to have to be broken at some point, or they're going to have to be thrown into some sort of flux. And so, to give a rule like uh, I think rule number two is nothing doesn't exist. It's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, that's clever. You can interpret that in a bunch of different ways. Um, but it's also like a little, maybe a little bit on the nose. But uh, it actually allows Asagi to seed some really, really interesting ideas. And um, the the standout scene, I think for me, was uh, is a scene where, you know, Esperanza talks about feeling like there's an echo of the person she's supposed to be sitting in the corner room watching her every move and there's a simple 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 caption at the end of that scene you know and and she's talking about transitioning and she's talking about you know how you know what her life has been like to this point and 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 just kind of how she feels about that and the simple caption at the end of it is rule three and rule three we learn a few uh a few pages earlier is nothing ever dies and it's this just really really chilling moment you know because she feels like she's moved on from this part of her but it it's sort of not letting her go you know that this this part of her has not died um and and in a story with magic like obviously that that idea becomes a lot scarier you know um and especially i i feel like that's something that you know i've thought about in relationship to my own gender identity issues and that i've watched uh, friends of mine who are trans, who are in various states of transitioning, uh, you know, struggle with is like, oh, am, am I letting people down? Am I letting this version of myself down, this past or future or present version of myself that I'm not allowing now to be the the primary person that I put out into the world? Like, who who am I failing? You know, uh, besides besides feeling like you failed like uh, outside people uh, in your life, your family, your friends, etc. But you know, you have this sort of weight of, you know, did I ruin everything? You know, did I kind of fail myself? Uh, and and it's and the moment where Visaggio delivers this is just oof. It is. I mean, that's where the book really started to come together for me. And we start to learn more about some of the other characters. And then uh, her girlfriend, whose name I am completely forgetting currently, um, you know, she ends up going to a Catholic church. And, and, and you know, there's a bit about um, uh, affinities rather than objects holding power and magic and, and how, uh, you know, a, a church would be somewhere that's... that's uh, you know, extremely powered up in some way. And um, I'm excited to see that explored more. We don't get to see too much of it in this issue, but I know that Visaggio has talked uh, like on Twitter and stuff like that about 
her own background with with Catholicism, uh, especially as it relates to her transness as well. And to see these two ideas in this story is what really works for me because this isn't a story built on just like snarky dialogue going back and forth or the fact that like the idea of like witches and covens is something that's very prevalent uh, in in kind of pop culture and media right now. There's a uh, there's an inherent truth to some of what uh, and sort of exploration of self somewhere in this book. And, and I don't mean to say that in terms of, uh, you know, oh, all artists are just writing about themselves and through all their characters. And, and I don't, you know, and I, I don't subscribe to that here either. Um, but I do think that Visaggio can speak uh, from her experience and use that to explore some of those ideas whether or not she feels the same way as her characters isn't really important but she can draw from her own experience to uh you know inform inform these characters in a way that i think brings a lot of truth to them and in doing so uh, brings a deeper kind of deeper level of uh emotionality and 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 emotional stakes to the story um, and I really felt that here. I mean, you see these two people who are, who are, who by the end of the issue are are trying to save themselves, but also trying to save each other. And and I think that's that's really great. And and Becca Farrow's work is really interesting as well. A lot of the uh, panels are very open in a sort of layout sense. It puts the characters very front and center. Puts the things that they're doing very front and center. Um, which is not to say there aren't backgrounds and things, uh, but the backgrounds tend to be uh, fairly sparse. You know, they're not super, super, super detailed. I mean, we're not doing like Jeff Darrow kind of stuff in the background or even, you know, what we see from from like Tradmore or anything like that where there's like lots of lines. And it's like very open. Um, the, the color palette, uh, you know, is really lends to that openness as well and doesn't, d- tries not to like override uh, the storytelling here and you know I think that that can some some might see it and be like oh well it's pretty simple it seems like it was done fairly quickly and I think but I think that's by design you know I, I think that this is a story about the small changes that are affecting these characters so you need to put the characters front and center in order to uh, place a greater focus on them and also force the reader to understand and recognize those changes so, you know, I, I think that it's a really, a really good bit. There's even like something small that I noticed upon kind of finishing the first issue where the, uh, the sort of way that the uh, Esperanza's, Esperanza's bangs go versus who's sort of the villain of the story's bangs, go, they're opposite. That sounds like a really like dumb little detail. It might have even been by accident, but it's, it, it does kind of put those characters on like, you know, sort of opposite ends at the same time to, I don't know, maybe that's like a, maybe I'm uh, reading a little too far into it. But overall, I really do like Pharaoh's work. I like her attention to detail with regards to the characters. And uh, and I like her attention to how to, uh, how to keep those panels open enough to allow the, the setting to be still present but secondary to the characters um you know uh one thing i've noticed in uh, some of visaggio's other work is that because she can tend to write a lot i mean her characters talk a lot is that then it ends up crowding out panels and there not being really enough space for some of the things that need to be there 
And so it doesn't really lend itself to the flow of the reading experience. But uh, Farrow and Visaggio are clearly on the same page here, and it works wonderfully, wonderfully well. And it, it helps some of the humor uh, play a little bit better, too. Um, yeah, this is a great book. Uh, you can you should definitely pick it up. Sex, Death, Revolution from Black Mask Studios. And uh, the last book that we're covering today that came out today is Spider Force Number One from writer Christopher Priest, art from Paulo Sequeira, Oren Jr., and Craig Young, uh, with colors by Guru EFX and lettering by Joe Savino. The Spider Geddon crossovers have been kind of a mixed bag for me. And this this is firmly in the in that category as well. Uh, you know, I really loved Spider Girls. I, I thought Spider Gwen wasn't really working. I think this one suffers from a lot of the same problems as Spider Gwen. Uh, it does really require you to be caught up with all Spider Gwen, which is fine. Um, it's an event book. You know, you should sort of expect that. Uh, it's sort of the getting the team together issue of the book and so you know we get a lot of things kind of told in media res where we go back in time and we're, you know, we, or we have a flashback rather we don't go back in time because geez there's enough time travel in this story but you know we have got a flashback and we uh, see how all these characters kind of ended up in the same place and that's fine uh, I, I don't think any of these characters really super stand out here um and so their sort of reason for being together is, I don't know, a little bit dubious. Uh, we know that the inheritors like to find the uh, youngest of the spider people because it gives them the most energy, and so they're the most drawn to them. Uh, and so it pulls together Spider Kid and uh, and uh, Scarlet Spider and Jessica Drew as, and her baby because uh, she's got a baby. Um, but this one comes together really, really slowly, uh, and uh, it's kind of it's kind of by the numbers in terms of a first issue for something like this. You know, we get the team back together; it's all in flashback. Uh, then we get back to the present uh, by the end of the book, um, and just as we get back to sort of where the book started, we uh, also get a big reveal, and then the book's over. It's fine. Sakara's artwork feels a lot like Mike Diodato. Uh, leans in lots of shadows, but it doesn't do any of the weird paneling stuff that Diodata d- has done lately, where where he adds so many panel lines uh, that you sometimes just get these like panels of nothing. They're just like panels of a single color, which like looks very cool sometimes. But in terms of uh, reading flow, it doesn't really always make the most sense because you're not sure if like you're supposed to be paying attention to the fact that like a character's forehead got cut off or whatever. There are some like weird inconsistencies. Scarlet Spider's got a he's got like a a scar over one eye, but sometimes the way that it's shown, they like show half of it or don't show it at all, or 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 like sometimes the shadows kind of uh, are a little inconsistent. And don't make too much sense. Overall, he quits himself pretty well. I mean, it's not a bad looking issue by any stretch, but yeah, it, I mean, it does have some of that Diodato feel to it. So if that's something that you like, you might enjoy it unless you're you know a diehard for one of these characters or christopher priest or the spider get an event um, you could probably skip this one and then the last book we're going to cover today is lodger from black crown uh this actually came out last week but i forgot to cover it because uh, i didn't realize it was coming out so shame on me this is from writers maria and david laffham with art from david laffham uh, and here is the solicit 
Lodger follows a handsome drifter who murders his way through the Midwest while hiding in plain sight as a travel blogger using the alias Lodger. With an almost supernatural ability to change appearance, he leaves families in shreds and body bags in his wake. He's pursued across the country by Ricky Toledo, a teenager who fell hard for the mysterious stranger years ago when he rented a small room in her home, right before he killed her mother and framed her father. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of Dave Lapham. This is a this is a must read. Uh, Maria Lapham as well. And I'm I'm so sad that I missed the last week uh, because it definitely would have been in the running for pick of the week. Uh, so Lodger, if you're a fan of Stray Bullets, you already know that uh, the Laphams do sort of like this like crime storytelling kind of thing. It's what they're mostly known for. I'm a huge fan of Young Liars as well, which has a little bit of that. Uh, I can see some Young Liars in this as well, uh, although Young Liars sort of uh, delves into some more uh, alien elements, I suppose, is one way to put it. Lodger has uh, kind of that Carrie Fukunaga true detective vibe to it. That's kind of the world it's playing in. You know, we follow Ricky Toledo as she, you know, is traveling by bus across the country. And uh, the framing device is great. It's this, uh, this blog post and it's kind of, it's kind of spread out throughout the book, um, you know, page by page, and we start to see these things. And it kind of seems like it's just Ricky at first. Uh, and then, you know, as we go and the story kind of reveals more and more of itself, we uh, see that, you know, maybe Ricky and Lodger, this serial killer slash blogger, have, have crossed more paths than they realize. And uh, Laugh'em remains one of the one of the best artists working today. There's a real, like, lived-in Americana to the proceedings, which is really fitting for this story. Um, and I just, you know, I, it's really expertly paced. I, there's, a, there's a deliberate slowness to it that I think is... It, it, might be, it might be sort of frustrating if this isn't the kind of story that you are used to. Uh, but at the same time, there's like so much in terms of little character moments and how Laugh'em builds the world. I mean, there's just like these little jokes between the townspeople in this uh, in this town, and I, I really even like love the I, I even love the opening the, the opening title, you know, Existential Crisis in Blossom. It's a title for the book uh, for the issue. Um, it's a title for Lodger's blog post. We learn that Blossom is the name of the town that uh, Ricky Toledo is in at the time uh, that Lodger has has presumably just left or recently left. Um, but it, even just that title does kind of frame everything out for us. Um, you know, these characters feel real, uh, and this story feels very cinematic in the way that the Laphams tell it, and it's I mean it seems crazy that it's like not a it's not like a TV show or a movie or something already or that more of their work isn't um, because I think that this is kind of a through line through all of their work um, yeah so I, you know I almost don't want to say too much about it uh, I feel like I've said a lot already um, this is I mean this is Definitely one of the best books on the stand and something that you definitely need to get your hands on. If you haven't read Straight Bullets, uh, you should fix that immediately. If you haven't read Young Liars, you should fix that immediately. 
and you know lodger looks to be like another really interesting black crown uh book and a huge get for that imprint uh because the laughams are absolute legends so yeah so this is a pretty short episode compared to some of the last few um that's what happens sometimes when there's not many books but thank you all so much for listening Uh, We've had a lot of listens over the past three episodes, which has been really great. Um, Just to recap everything that we covered today, we've got Hex Wives uh, from DC Vertigo, Ben Blacker, and Mirka Andolfo. Uh, A cool cool kind of Stepford Wives-esque witch-focused tale that I think some of the conflict is a bit vague, but the character works decent, and uh, I am curious to see where it goes in terms of how these sort of uh this coven of superhero witches is uh is sort of activated and what that means for those characters so um if you enjoy the those kind of uh supernatural meets kind of superhero aspects of some of uh, a story like this then i think that that might work for you then we had our pick of the week sex death revolution uh which is another kind of witchy book i i'd said it it reminds me uh, of shades of like runaways but a little bit of phonogram as well it does a really good job with explaining some of its rules which are vague in a way that serves the story really excellently well uh, they frame the they frame the story really well there's some real standout moments in this issue there's going to be i think some some interesting explorations of identity uh, relationships to to your past, to religion, um, to the things that make you uh, you. I think Visaggio is doing really some work for all time here on this book, and and the art from Becca Faro is extremely effective in underlining what Visaggio uh, is trying to do with these characters. Uh, and so that's Sex Death Revolution number one from Black Mask Studios. Then we had Spider Force number one from Marvel is Christopher Priest, Paolo Sequeira. Uh, uh, joint and yeah, this one didn't work as well for me. You know, you really need to be waist deep in the Spider Geddon crossover to find any way to really care about it. Uh, you know, I, I've I've been keeping up with the event, and even this one still fell a little bit flat for me. I don't really think that it's doing too much. Uh, not enough to hook me anyway. Uh, I wouldn't be back for issue two just from reading this. Uh, but if you're a huge Priest fan, you might find some stuff that you think is really fun. Paolo Sequeira is doing kind of a uh, Mike Diodato thing on the art. And if that's your jam, then you might find something you like here. But other than that, I would say you could probably pass on this one. And then the last book we covered was Lodger from Black Crown. That's uh, an IDW publishing imprint. Uh, and it was actually out last week from Maria and David Lapham art by David Lapham, uh, and it is a cool Midwestern crime tale. I think recent, if you if you like sort of Coen Brothers stuff, if you like uh, the recent uh, Hot Lunch special from Elliot Rahal and Jorge Fornes, then you'll have some fun there. It's, uh, it's, it's a bit deliberate, um, but it's uh, this kind of really interesting bit of Americana crime, and that's really cool. Uh, there were a couple other number ones. There was a Batman special uh, that was, uh, you know, it was pretty solid. Um, I don't really dig into anthologies in this show, um, but it, you know, 
I would take a look at the uh, list of creators. Many of them pique your interest. Uh, pick it up. I will say that the final story in that uh, is a Detective Chimp Batman story by Tom Taylor and Brad Walker. That is pretty good, actually. You know, it got me got me a little choked up. It was it was a good little story. And then the other number one was Justice League Aquaman Drowned Earth number one, which is uh, the first part of a big crossover. And uh, I actually covered it on Newsarama today, um, so I'll link it in the description. Uh, and I won't talk about it more here. Uh, but that is from James Tynan the fourth, with art from the legendary Howard Porter. So if you like Howard Porter on Justice League books, uh, I actually do suggest you... Uh, check it out. Um, that's all for me. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at new number one pod. You can send us an email at new number one cast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at P E lightning. Uh, I'll post all about uh, where I, uh, where I'm, what I'm writing comics reviews about. And I usually post music and nonsense. Um, and you can, if you have questions or anything like that, you can always send them to either of those Twitter accounts or our email address. Or if you've got books that you want us to cover, something that we missed, let, let me know. Uh, and uh, if you like the content that I'm putting out and you like my reviews, um, you know, pretty much do reviews for free. And I do the show for free and no ads or anything like that. Um, so if you want to throw a couple bucks our way to just help with podcasting costs, things like that, you can do so on our new coffee page. That's ko-fi.com slash Pierce Lydon. That's P-I-E-R-C-E-L-Y-D-O-N. Anything is appreciated. Please don't feel obligated to uh, give us any money. I do this for fun. Uh, so, and, and I did this to myself. So there's really no reason you should pay for it since I, I, you know, just decided to do this but it is appreciated if you do feel so compelled like i said at the top show go vote uh hopefully by this time next week things might be looking a little bit better thanks again guys and thanks for listening to new number one bye